Relatively Geeky presents the Grab Bag Episode 2022. With acknowledgement given to excellent Grab Bag episodes produced over the years by Ben Avery, Jared Albrecht, and, well, also me in the epic, epic, epic Porter Bin 100. It's time to go back to the Grab Bag Well. And it all started like this. There is a hobby shop on the north side of my city, Columbus, Ohio. A part of town I go to you know, a few times a month. And I've been in this hobby shop a handful of times. But mostly, they've got stuff that is just not in my wheelhouse. Radio control cars, model kits, stuff related to those sorts of hobbies. They do pop vinyls and a rack of geeky t-shirts. And those are usually the most comic-related, most geek-related products that they sell. But I've never bought anything from the store. Because here's the thing. Their stuff strikes me as being pretty expensive. Now, I didn't mention this before, but this hobby shop is located right next to an Ollie's bargain outlet. And I wound up in that part of town one day a few months ago with some time on my hands. And I thought I'd hit the ollies and see what was up. My impression was that they'd recently reloaded their DC trades. Kirk and some others have talked about their bargain hunting prowess there, their their successes at ollies recently. So I figured I'd check back in there. But first I figured, what the heck? I'll start at the hobby shop. They do have superhero stickers on their windows. So I always have hope that they'll have something, some kind of comic-related product that would interest me. But usually, no. Until this time. When I wandered in, I did see a few familiar-looking long and short boxes on a table toward the front of the store. Now, mostly these contained trades, priced on the high end of the scale, to be honest, and some individual issues, you know, sort of dollar box type of books, quarter bins, if you're lucky enough to find those. You know, that type of book, if you know what I'm saying. It's just that these ones were priced at a buck seventy-five to two fifty. Like I said, they're kind of expensive. So there was nothing in those quote-unquote, cheap boxes that they had that, again, were all that interesting to me. Until I saw some of those prepackaged three-packs. And in a one short box, they had about 30 or 40 of those actually priced at two bucks each. And the weird thing is that even though they had maybe, again, I'd say maybe three dozen of these grab bags, many of them were duplicates. So there were only maybe four different options. In other words, the ones that I bought, there may have been 10 exact copies of those grab bags, at least the front and the back book. I assume the middle book as well. But I did end up buying a pair of these grab bags, hoping beyond hope that the third book in the middle was not going to be the same. So here are the two Marvel packs. One has Secret Defenders, 
number nine on one side, and a Marvel Milestone reprint of Avengers 16. The other pack has Thunderstrike, number one, in all his ponytailed glory. And on the other side is the Thor Corps, number four, the long-awaited conclusion to the most offbeat limited series of them all. Both of those still unopened with a mystery book in between. But as I was thinking about these grab bags, I got really curious about them. It's not just that the books are from 1993. I'm pretty sure these packs are from 1993 as well. The original packaging promises books from publishers such as DC, Marvel, and Malibu, which does timestamp these. And to be honest, the old rusty staples on the back of one of these packs also seems to confirm the uh, old age of these packages. Now, I understand how individual comic books can hang around unsold for 30 years and end up in cheap bins. I have an entire podcasting empire built on that notion. But these grab bags, I'm so curious as to how they hung around for nearly three decades, not just unsold, but unopened, you know, stored somewhere in some warehouse. Because these did not go to comic book stores. These would have been sold at, I'm guessing, the bookstores, drugstores, places like that, uh, toy shops, maybe. So I wonder just exactly how this independent, locally owned hobby shop in Columbus, Ohio, ended up with these in their inventory. Now, this is pure conjecture, pure guesswork, but I wonder if these became available when a bookstore or toy store closed. I'm thinking the big boys, Toys R Us, KB Border, something like that. And I guess I could see a huge business like that having these stashed somewhere in some miscellaneous warehouse. And in a liquidation auction, I could see these getting out into the world, and somehow, the details are still unclear to me, but I guess I could see them landing in a hobby shop. It just seems to me that a much more likely scenario for grab bags like this, maybe it's what happened to most of them, is that they would work their way back to comic shops, who would open the bags and put the individual issues in their discount bins. That's what I would guess happened to most of these over the years. Again, I have no information about that. I have no reason to believe what I just said is true, other than being a tenured business professor and we think everything that we say is true. But I guess that's what happened to these over the years. Um, you know, However it happened, it was certainly cool to stumble across a batch of these original early 1990s grab bags. So anyway, I nabbed two of them from that store, and since I'm a podcaster, I immediately thought, grab bag episode? Because trust me, when you do this, everything is content. So I did end up going next door to Ollie's, and my mind at this point was focused on grab bags. 
I may have picked up a trade or two. I almost certainly picked up a trade or two. But I was looking for another grab bag as well. And I found one. Actually, I found a lot of them. And since I already had two Marvel-themed grab bags, I looked for ones that either had DCs or indie books. At, you know, again, at, at, at least on the end caps. So I picked up this one. And on one side, we have Jonesy, number 11, from Boombox. And on the other, also from Boom, is Robocop, Citizen's Arrest, number 3. There was just enough give in this pack that I was able to not see any more titles, but I was able to see one more logo near a spine. And that was also a Boom book. So I guess there's a chance that this is all Boom. And if that's the case, Ed Moore, you owe me a commission. So overhaul... It's three packs, 16 comics, six visible, 10 hidden, a grand total of $11 spent, which, yes, is 70 cents each. And I know it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot to me, too. But for this podcast, for you, lovely listener, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. So again, three packs, still unopened but not for long. So the first step in this unboxing episode, okay, okay, unbagging episode, is to take all these comics out of their bags. I'm going to sort them alphabetically because comic books, and then I'm going to list out all 16 of these. So I'm going to be careful with this one that has Thunderstrike on it because, again, the sort of back spot of the open has uh, is sort of missing the cardboard on the back so those 30-year-old rusted staples are are visible. Okay, but I got them out safely without uh, unduly injuring myself. In this case, the one in the middle was Secret Defenders number nine because the other back had Secret Defenders number nine also. Gosh darn it. That makes it 15 comics for $11, which takes us to, I don't know, 76 cents. I'm kind of mad about that. So I'm going to open the other one. And will we bet that the hidden book is one of the books that is in the other pack? We will see. Secret Defenders number nine, again, a duplicate. That Marvel Masterworks edition of Avengers. And then the one in the middle. Hey, Scarlet Witch. Number one, I'm guessing that this book is now worth a quadrillion dollars. Which means this was all worth it. <laughs> so, but that does bring me to the boom box. So let me open that one. Don't worry about staples on this one. Ow, paper cut. No, just kidding. Okay, so let me go through these. I'm actually going to sort of organize them as I go, and I will flip through and say, yes, this is an entire boom bag. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to, again, like I said, I'm going to try to organize this. What? That's kind of weird. Okay. Just looking at some of these books here. This one is a kid-friendly pack, the boom, the boom uh, pack. 
no, uh, I guess RoboCop might be the least kid-friendly item in that pack. I got a couple here that I might be able to flip. I'm just saying. All right, in alphabetical order, again, because that's the way my mind thinks. It's bad enough that I'm a comics collector. It's worse that I started life as a certified public accountant. So, yeah, I kind of like organizing things, okay? So we have The Avengers number 16. Again, this is the Marvel Milestone Edition, but I'm counting it as The Avengers number 16. We have two Adventure Time books. One might be a, a subsidiary. It's Adventure Time Presents Marcy and Simon number 3 and Adventure Time 49. Goldie Vance, two of four. Jonesy, number 11. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink, six of six. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Regular, number seven. Munchkin, number eight. Oh no, I failed my alphabetization test. Lumberjanes, seven and eight. Robocop Citizen's Arrest, number three. Scarlet Witch, Secret Defenders number nine, Secret Defenders number nine, darn you Marvel Comics, Thor Core number four, and Thunderstrike number one. So those are the books that I got in my grab bags, 15 original books, which doing the math quickly into my head gets us to about 73 or 74 cents per issue. So that's the first half of the episode. So next up, I'm going to do just a little bit of research on these comics and come back after this promo, which, to be honest, will be a few days from now. Turn with me sitting down behind this microphone again. And we'll see what I have to say about these grab bags. Other than darn you, Marvel, it's not like I needed one copy of Secret Defenders number 9 But gosh darn it all, I did not need two of them. Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with the man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to two true freaks and not lame asses. I'm on a tauntaun. And we're back. And I actually made a pretty good prediction because it's three days later. And what I did was flip through each book a little bit and checked online to see what information I could find about it, uh, looking for maybe like a previews, synopsis, something like that, in order to decide the disposition of each of these 16 comics. In in other words, which of these am I putting on the reading pile? How far down the reading pile? Uh, What order? What's my priority for reading? And which, well, to be honest, which I don't think... I'm going to be reading. Now, I'm not going to be doing reviews for all of these comics, uh, just so you know, and and that's for three reasons. One, that's how Ben Avery does his grab bag episodes 
on the comic book time machine, and he does a really good job with those. Two, you've heard the list of comics. Are you really going to make me read those 1993 Marvels, all of them, in quick succession? Ain't gonna happen. And three, the main reason, truth be told, I already have a podcast where I talk about every comic book that I read during a month. So that would be sort of redundant. So I'm just going to talk about my broad thoughts about these comics. So 16 comics, but of course only 15 different ones. Uh, By the way, these 15 comics had a combined cover price of $50.05. So my paying $10.99 for them, not too shabby, I have to say. Although, we do have to eliminate two more at this point. Because I've read two of these before. Lumberjanes, 7 and 8. Back in 2015, I think it was, maybe 2016, I picked up issues 1 through 8 at a half-price books location in Seattle from a quarter box. One of the all-time great quarter bin steals, to be honest. These are very good issues, deserving of their very solid reputation. So I'm not going to be including Lumberjanes in this section, because they would be rereads, but those will head directly into the comic book circle of life pile. So, that leaves us 13 comics to look at. And, again, going alphabetically, we'll start with Adventure Time 49 from Kaboom, cover dated February 2016. This is the subscription cover that I have, original cover price of $3.99. The story is Flowers for Paltacore, Part 2, although it is also Part 4 of a four-part Uh, larger story. I'm not familiar with the creators Dale Barron and David Hellman, nor have I ever seen a second of the TV show, which I understand is pretty well regarded. So this blurb, Finn and Jake must re-banish their old friend from reality in order to defeat a monstrous threat? It sounds interesting, but obviously I'm not getting the total import of that summary. But given the reputation that this property has, and the fact that this ends a storyline, I am putting this one on the reading pile, I think. On the other hand, Adventure Time presents Marcy and Simon number three of six, cover dated March 2099, the pre-order cover, 399 cover price. There's no title for the story, which was written by Olivia Olson and illustrated by Slim Faber. This description, like the prior one, comes from the Adventure Time fandom wiki, but I'm guessing these are the preview blurbs. Princess Bubblegum's plan didn't work, so Marceline wants to get her father to help. And as a long-time Doctor Who fan... I understand the risk of reading issue three of six. Not to prejudge, well, exactly to prejudge 
I'm just not thinking a lot is going to happen in this particular issue. And the not a lot that's not going to happen is going to be not happening to characters I don't know in a spinoff miniseries from a property I'm not familiar with. I'm saying all of that to say I don't think I'm going to be reading this one. Now, Avengers 16, now we're talking. Again, this is the Marvel Milestone Edition. Original cover date of May 1965, a good six months before I was born. That issue had a cover price of 12 cents, though this reprint sold for $2.95. The Old Order Changeth was created by a couple of fellows you may have heard of. One named a Kirby, and another named a Lee. The cover promises the start of a great new Avengers lineup. Although this team of Cap, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch have become known as Cap's Kooky Quartet. I have not read this issue, although I have heard many podcasters talk about it. So this immediately jumps to the top of my to-read list. By far, the comic in these three packs, the comic among these 16, that intrigues me the most. Goldie Vance, two of four, from Boombox, cover dated May 2016, again $3.95, second print. This issue was written by Hope Larson and drawn by Brittany Williams, who are the co-creators of the comic. I don't have a synopsis for the issue specifically, but Boom Studios' synopsis uh, for the four-issue series is as follows. 16-year-old Mary Gold, or Goldie Vance, lives at a Florida resort with her dad who manages the place and dreams to one day become the hotel's in-house detective when Walter, the current detective, encounters a case he can't crack, he agrees to mentor Goldie in exchange for her help solving the mystery, utilizing her smarts, random skills, and connections with the hotel staff and various folk in town. Okay. I am a total sucker for kid detectives. Call it the Encyclopedia Brown slash... Nancy Drew slash Hardy Boys Syndrome. I knew of this character, I'd heard of her, but hadn't ever seen the comics or experienced anything with her. But now, I am pretty excited to read this one. Yes, there's a tremendous risk of it falling into second issue syndrome, part two of four, but I'm willing to take that chance. And another Boombox book, $3.99, Jonesy number 11, cover dated March 2017. I have to say that I'm not in love with this cover. It looks a bit too kiddie comic for me. Maybe it's the colors, the art, the three-fingered hands. I'm not sure. But it's simply not appealing to me. The comic is by Caitlin Rose Boyle and Sam Humphreys. And again, I'm going with the issue synopsis from the Boom website. Jonesy is a self-described cool dork 
who spends her time making zines nobody reads, watching anime and listening to riot girl bands. But she has a secret nobody knows. She has the power to make people fall in love. Anyone with anything. She's a cupid in plaid with a tumbler. There's only one catch. It doesn't work on herself. She's going to have to find love the old-fashioned way and in the meantime, figure out how to distract herself from the real emotions she inevitably has to face when her powers go wrong. Well, that synopsis does explain the multicolored rainbow hearts that are on the cover, so that synopsis actually intrigues me, tickles my interest just a little bit. And two from the same franchise, so I'm putting them together here, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 7 from September 2016, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink 6 of 6 from January 2017. Both of these are the primary covers, $3.99, and from the main Boom line. The main story is by Kyle Higgins, with art by Henry Prasetya. And the pink issues by Brendan Fletcher, Kelly Thompson, and Teeny Howard with art by Danielle DeNuculo. That pink issue, that is a lot of talent on the writing, I must say. Fletcher Thompson and Teeny Howard. And now, here is the time for my shocking admission. Revoke my geek card right now. I really really don't like the Power Rangers. Like, actively, positively, don't like them. And believe me, as M was growing up, watching it all the time, I had plenty of opportunities. And as you may know from such podcasts as Shortbox Showcase and Dorkness to Light, I kind of like M. I like it when we hang out and, and do the same things. But Power Rangers, I just, I just couldn't. I know. I know. That being said, I do like comic books. And so the pink issue being part six of six, that has me tempted just to see an end of a story issue that always has interesting potential. So that one... I'm interested in. The other one, the main one, sorry. This is not something I'm proud of, but just no. Another property I have no connection to, no experience with, Munchkin, number eight from Boombox, August 2015. Two stories in here, Beware the Glowing Dragon by Tom Siddell and Ian McGinty, and a short backup for Love of Money by Derek Friedoffs and Ryan Sai. But I have to say, I'm kind of intrigued by this book. The cover has a whimsy to it, but also enough menace. Uh, a princess stealing a diamond from a big red monster of some kind. And I also like this one bit. When you open the front cover, this comic does not identify itself as Part 8 or Chapter 8, or even as you might expect, Issue 8. No. This comic calls itself Level 8. And to me, there's a sense of humor there. There's 
a bit of self-awareness. This one is a keeper, and I know I didn't see that coming either. And the last of the Boom books from the main Boom imprint, again at $3.99, which I think all of the Boom books were. RoboCop Citizen's Arrest number three, the subscription cover, cover dated June 2018. I've seen the original movie in bits and pieces over the years on TV, but that's my primary interaction with the RoboCop franchise, other than maybe a few miscellaneous comics over the years. This one was written by Brian Wood, who I've read some good things by, with art by George Coelho. And the synopsis is as follows. When Alex Murphy, the original RoboCop, appears to side against OCP, news reports appear that call into question if he's a risk to the public or if OCP needs to take drastic measures. Obviously, the part three of five nature of this comic is scary, but I admit I'm kind of interested in it. Maybe I'm just growing soft as this episode goes by. Due to some weird quirks of the alphabet, with the one exception of the Marvel reprint Avengers issue, all of the other four Marvel books should be five, but you know, duplicate. All of the other four come later in the alphabet than the last boom book. In other words, sorting them straight alphabetical versus, say, alphabetical by publisher, almost no difference. So continuing alphabetically, the last four books of the grab bags are, and you should prepare yourselves, these are all Marvel Comics from 1993. You've been warned. So beginning with one of my OG comic book crushes, which is an admission I've made before, hero of stage and screen, though spoilers for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the word hero might not completely apply. It's Scarlet Witch number one, cover dated January 1994. I know, I just said these were all from 1993, but as we all know, cover dates were at this point probably three months in the future. So this was a fall 1993 release. So there. I was already going to read this, because Wanda. But the story Dark Designs was written by Abnett and Lanning, which just confirms that notion. Art was by John Higgins, and I have to say that I am not in love with Wanda's hair in this one. I'll blame possession by dark demonic forces for that choice. And trust me, if you listen to Stella's Batgirl to Oracle podcast, you'll know my standing in this area. I am that show's official hairstyle correspondent. After being plagued by horrifying nightmares, Wanda Maximoff seeks the mystical aid of mentor Agatha Harkness. Can Harkness unlock the inner sanctum of Wanda's mind? And what hardships will Scarlet Witch endure when she discovers she is a Nexus being? Well, I guess it's not a spoiler then. 
It was Agatha all along. Like I said, I am a total, complete, 100% mark for this book. I don't remember seeing any issues of this in the cheap bins ever. I say that because I've never read this, and if I'd ever seen it, I would have scooped them up and read them right away. This one shoots to the top of the list. And then, the doubled-up, duplicated issue itself, Secret Defenders number 9, cover dated November 1993 and starring, according to the cover, Doctor Strange, War Machine, and Thunderstrike. So, yeah. Revenge, part one of two from what I can tell, is written by Ron Mars, who's pretty good, with art by Tom Grinberg and Don Hudson. The closest thing I could find to an issue synopsis is this bit of marketing speak. If it's power you want, this latest team of secret defenders is for you. The mystical mastery of Doctor Strange. The hammer and lightning of Thunderstrike. The no-hold-bards firepower of War Machine. The unbridled cosmic might of the Silver Surfer. What could possibly stand against such a powerful and heroic team? Trust me, you don't want to know. Truer words have never been spoken about a comic book, because trust me, I don't want to know what happens in this issue. And I'm not saying that I know for sure that this is a bad comic, but someone whose opinions about these things I trust does say it's a bad comic. Because in 2009, Linkara covered this issue on an episode of Atop the Fourth Wall where bad comics burn. And I swear I'm not making this up. The heavens just opened up with rain as I started to discuss a comic with Thunderstrike. As a matter of fact, the first of three comics starring Thunderstrike. Is it a coincidence that three issues featuring Thunderstrike ended up in Discount grab bags? Hmm. Interesting. So, next up is the end of a miniseries, as we feel the power of the Thor Corps, number four. Cover day to December 1993, and I admit, I like all of that rhyming, Thor Corps 4. Tom DeFalco wrote the story, What I Did for Love, with art by Pat Olaf and Romeo Tangal. Tangal, I associate with the DC Bronze Age of comics, one of the first names I recognized reading tons of comics in the 70s and early 80s. The core of four conclude their takedown of Demon Staff, but not before learning the truth behind his descent into madness. Despite all the warnings, all the flashing red lights, including the presence of Thunderstrike, I am sorely tempted by this one, mostly because of BRB, I love myself some Beta Ray Bill. And speaking again, the troubling presence of Thunderstrike as a summer thunderstorm invades central Ohio. Uh, the last one on this list 
saving the best for saving the last for last thunderstrike number one from june 1993 the previous marvel books were all a dollar 75 but this first explosive issue along with its fancy cardstock cover is 2.95 the story blood without glory was written plotted scripted and penciled by the legendary team of tom defalco and ron friends with finishing art coming from Al Milgram. A rash of carjackings in the city bring Eric Masterson and Bloodaxe to a head, with Bloodaxe coming out the victor. Determined to establish his own name and reputation, Eric changes costumes and names to Thunderstrike. During their next battle, Thunderstrike manages to disarm Bloodaxe and give him his own defeat. There is not a single word of that synopsis that appeals to me, and I have been including the words a, of, and the. So, let me summarize what we got out of these grab bags. 16 comics in total, one internal duplicate, Secret Defenders number 9, two external duplicates, that is, books that I've read before, Lumberjanes 7 and 8, Two, that I am really excited to read, Scarlet Witch 1 and the Marvel Milestone Edition of Avengers 16. Plan to read both of them soon. This month, I expect. That's five. Eleven more to go. And six more are definitely going on to the reading pile. But which I think are legitimately one level below those first two in terms of my anticipation, though of this sort of next tier, Goldie Vance number two is top of this list in this second tier of books. I haven't checked this yet, but if I like that issue, I'm, I'm going to look at Hoopla for more, um, see if they have the entirety uh, of this miniseries. After that, it's the end of two miniseries, the Thor Core 4 and Power Rangers Pink number 6. I'm hoping that they'll tell enough backstory so that the conclusion, you know, reading just the last issue, will end up sat being a satisfying read. Then we get to Adventure Time 49, a series I don't know, but again, a concluding issue of a storyline from a property that has a good reputation. And then a middle book, and I'm a little worried about this one, but... RoboCop Citizen's Arrest number three. And then a couple that I'm going to set aside for a while. One that I'm going to put on the stack for the next Fantasy Comics Month, Munchkin number eight. And I'll be honest, reading that synopsis, reading that preview, puts Jonesy number 11 in a similar category, which is one that I'm going to save until next February for Romance Comics Month. And that leaves four left. One of them I'm definitely going to read, but more or less as a joke. I mentioned that Lankara did an episode on Secret Defenders 9, and since I got two of these, I feel like I need to read at least one of them. So I'll read it and follow that up by watching his review. So then, 
at the bottom of the stack, three that I may dispose of without reading. Although I may, for the short term, toss them onto the stack and, and just see what happens. But I am not rushing out to ever read Thunderstrike number one. Although if I find another Linkara review or, or something similar, then maybe, but only then. And then two boom books that just don't appeal to me, although I guess anything could change, and those are Power Ranger 7 and Marcy and Simon 3. So who knows? And all of that brings us to this. What did I think of the grab bag process? Is it something I recommend? Will I do it again anytime soon? The adventure is fun. Yes, the unknown is fun. And I don't mind randomness in my reading. That's going to be the biggest drawback for some people, I think. The idea that you'll get part three of fives, part two of fours, titles you've never heard of, issues that don't interest you whatsoever, that sort of lack of control that you seed in a blind bag as opposed to flipping through long boxes for books. But as it turns out, I am planning to read the vast majority of these. Heck, maybe I'll crack and read them all eventually. Stay tuned to upcoming episodes of the Comics Reading Journal to find out which of these I read, when I read them, and what I thought of them. And these are pretty cheap. In a world where dollar boxes are the cheapest options that many people have, three for two dollars, or ten for six ninety-nine, those may be the best bargains you can find. This is a fun thing I could see myself doing every few years. Probably more of the Ollie's ones than the 1990s ones. Those books, The Thunderstrikes, The Secret Defenders, those books are all over the cheap bins. But the Ollie's bag, 10 boom books, 10 new books, 10 399 books, those are books I wouldn't necessarily have access to for 70, 75 cents each anytime soon. So that was a plus, finding those newer books for cheap. And also, to be honest, the adventure of it all. Now, of course, most of you are not nearly as cheap as I am. But I do hope that this grab bag episode gave you some insight into what these blind bags could contain, the range of books, the types of books that you may get in these two different settings, in these two different uh, forms of grab bags. If you decide to take the plunge and spend your 2 to $6, depending on the kind of blind bag that you get, please shoot me an email and let me know what you got, if you're satisfied. This network, as you know, is all about the bargains. And certainly, if you have any comments on the 16, okay, 15 issues that I talked about here, I would love to hear your thoughts. And with that as our wrap-up, I will say that those emails can be sent to relativelygeeky at gmail.com. Or comments can be left on the Facebook post or blog post for this episode. The blog is at 
relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Take care, everybody, and thanks for listening. Thank you.